Welcome to Safe Haven. My name is Troy Nicholson, and I'm, I'm one of the pastors here. And we're glad that you're here with us, right? Um, it's, it's always funny this time of the year. I mean, what we have before us is the spring break remnant. Um, y'all couldn't afford to go on vacation uh, like, the, like us. All the empty seats are people who had money to go on vacations. You're, you're, sorry putzes, right? Um, but no, we're glad that you're here with us this morning and, and worshiping with us. We're in Ephesians chapter 4 in our ongoing study of the book of Ephesians. Uh, we've made it four weeks in Ephesians 4 already, and this will be our last week in Ephesians 4. We're going to kind of wrap things up. Paul began the, the journey in Ephesians 4 with, I therefore, prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Right? And so this is the verse that Ephesians 4 began with. And again, if you're a guest with us, our, our nature as a church is to go straight through books of the Bible. And so um, we've made it all the way here, and we'll have a couple more weeks in uh, the, the last couple of chapters, and we'll be done. Um, but nonetheless, this is what Ephesians 4 began with. Paul begging us. He said, I'm begging you to do something. Cody, I'm begging you to do something. Uh, Mr. David, I'm begging you to do something. This is what he's, he's been saying to us. I'm begging you. Why do, why do we beg people to do things? Have you ever thought about that? Or maybe this. When is the last time you have begged somebody to do something? Maybe it was last night. Maybe it was a couple of weeks ago, whatever. Why, why do we do that? Why do we, why do we beg things of people? Um, those, those have impactful moments in our life. I, I remember one time I was begged to do something when I was thinking about this passage. And, and we were in Russia a couple of years ago on a mission trip. And, and, and they kept saying, Troy, I want you to try our, our beats. And I was like, hey, you know, we're from America and we don't eat beets. I mean, uh, I mean, they are strictly for decoration in America. I mean, if I wanted to eat a beet, I just might as well lick a playground um, all of it. We don't, we don't eat beets. We don't do that. And they kept begging me over and over, we want you to, and it was Russian, right? So we want you to eat the beets. And there was that, you know, which you're kind of scared when a Russian talks to you. <laughs> so I was like, maybe I do need to eat the beet. You know, so you don't kill me. I, that's, we have gone way off track. All right, beets. And so, um, you know, it, I was like, I don't want your beet. It's gross. Yuck. They kept on begging me. And, and so, then, after about the third day, they came and it was time to eat, and they brought me this right here. And I was like, now that I will eat. And they said, ha-ha, that's our beet soup. And I was like, great, here we go, now I'm eating beets. And I, so I bit into this thing, and it was phenomenal. It didn't taste like a dirty slide. It didn't taste like licking the outside of a potato. It's called borscht. Have you ever had borscht? Anybody? No. Okay, Tyler, we're adding that to the Seder on Monday, Thursday. Uh, we're going to have some beets. It was phenomenal. It's, it was some of the greatest thing I had ever had. And here's the thing. They were begging me, not to torture me, not to control me, but they were begging me why. They didn't want me to miss out. They didn't want me to miss out on something that was good for me and good tasting. And that's what Paul's saying. I think a lot of times we can read a passage like this and go, oh, here we go. Paul's begging me to do something. He's begging me to do these things and not do these things to torture me, to control me. And that's not what Scripture's doing. Scripture speaks to us and gives us things not to control us, not to torture us. He's not begging you, I don't want you to have any fun. He's going, I don't want you to miss out on the fullness that life can be in Christ. 
That maybe gives you a little framework of where I think Paul has led us in this passage and where he'll continue to lead us in this passage. All right, so with that said, he's begged us to do two things already all the way up to chapter 4. Number one is this. He's begged us to live out our life in Christ that is a life of unity. You'll remember this. This oneness aspect has been, uh, was, was big for us. God has created in Christ a brand new society, a new creation that doesn't have to compete with one another, that doesn't have to win or to lose when comparing with one another. We are one. We're united. And so he begs us to live that out. And then beginning in chapter 4, he said, also, don't just live out the unity that you have in Christ, but live out the purity that you have in Christ. So if you are made one, it will by default produce something, and that will look pure. It will look more and more pure as we go along. Y'all remember this, right? Uh, this is where he said, be humble and be eager to the fight for the bond of peace and all those things that we've been going through. Live a life out that is in purity, okay? And that's where we find ourselves. We will wrap the culmination of that up today. And then next week, Tyler will uh, lead us through Ephesians chapter 5. And so then we'll begin looking at what it looks like to be an imitator. All right, with that said, let's jump into the text. All right, you ready? All right, here we go. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. We'll read through verse 24. Live out these things, now this I say, and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. They have become calloused and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity." So in urging us to live out this purity, he first says, don't walk this way. Don't walk in the futility of your mind, is is, is what he kind of gets at. And then he gives us those illustrations that we just read. What does it look like to walk in the futility of mind? What does it look like to live a life that is not marked by purity? Well, it's, it's darkened thoughts. Now, I think a lot of times when we think of darkened thoughts, I always think of Marilyn Manson. Not Marilyn Manson, the, the, but Marilyn Manson the musician, for whatever reason. I don't have, I, that's just the first thing that comes to mind. I, I think dark, right? I don't think that's what he's saying here. He's not saying uh, that impurity looks like living out just darkness, blah, that kind of thing. That's not what he's saying. I think a darkened mind is just a mind that's fixed on the earth. Now, that could be very light and bright, right? So a darkened mind is when we walk out these doors and everything that we see, we go, this is everything that I need in life. This is it. And that's a darkened mind. Thinking that this temporal earth is all that there is to enjoy and being fixated on it. This house, this car, this sport, this bat, this, this baseball bat, this uh, whatever it is, that's a darkened understanding of life. So he says, don't have that. Because why? Because it will produce an alienated life. That's what it means to not walk in purity is this alienated life. When we have constant heavenly thoughts, we are by nature drawn closer to the Father just by thinking those thoughts, aren't we? Julie Beth works at DCH. Uh, usually during the day, I'm either up here or at the office complex. And so we're separated by, I don't know, what, five miles as the crow flies, right? And so when I'm not thinking about her, we really become more and more distant, don't we? 
But when I think about her during the day, even though we're separated by five miles, we still feel closer together, don't we? It's just the way that the brain works. And he says, listen, don't walk impure, don't have futility of the mind, don't have darkened thoughts, and don't be alienated. Think on him, and in thinking, you will draw near to him. That will also produce, if you walk in an alien in life, an ignorant, hard heart. Did you see that? In other words, when we don't chase after him, our heart won't pump the way that it's supposed to pump. Right? It'll become hardened. It'll be a hard heart. And then it'll also be calloused is where it goes from there. Calloused by sensuality. And so calloused just meaning that it's, it's numbed. It's numbed by, numbed? numbed by the fun of sin. Right? So this is what impurity looks like. It, it bites into sin and it continues biting to where it just gets easier to slip down that slope. Right? And then he says this, and that will produce greediness to practice evil. Do you see where he's going here? It gets harsher and harsher. Greediness is nothing more than just an addiction. It's, it's greed. It's I want. It's I have to have. And so that produces this addiction to pleasure. And he says, we as believers, we don't walk like that. Remember, it's not, here's your beet soup. Oh, he's sucking the fun out of life. That's not what he's saying. He's saying something different. We don't walk like that, not because we're, we're boring bobbies or goody-goody grands. That's not, that's not his point. He says, we don't walk like that because we're not that. Verse 20. Verse 20 says this, But that is not the way that you learned Christ. So if you feel yourself slipping into the impurity category and not living out what Christ has intended for you, he says, go back. Go back to what you originally learned. Go back to what you originally heard. And then he goes on to say this. If you want to restore the joy of your salvation, verse 21. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as truth is in Jesus, put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. So, if we're going to live a life that's not just united, but also is pure, we're not going to walk in the futility of mind, but we are going to walk with an illuminated mind. Do you see how, you see how he's doing that? Okay. And so he gives us illustrations with the illuminated as mine as well. He says, walk like this. Walk in the ways that you heard about him. Do you remember one of the first people who shared the, the, the good news of Christ with you? Think back. Was it, in a, was it in a Sunday school room like me with flannel graph? Y'all remember the flannel graph? Anybody remember the flannel graph? It's just the greatest... A lot of you are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. The felt board would have the little cutout Moses and they'd stick it on the board and tell you the story. And You're right? Okay. Uh, a lot of people are like, Troy, I don't know what you're talking about. I had a digital hologram, right? Good for you, you digital hologram young people. Uh, we, we learned everything on the computer screen. It doesn't matter. What he says is this. If you want to live a life of purity, go back there to what you heard. Remember what you heard. It wasn't somebody telling you to lick beets. It was somebody that had tasted of the beauty of Christ's righteousness and they wanted you to eat it as well. And they taught you. 
Go back to those elementary truths. And he says, not only what you heard about, but what you learned the truth about him. The truth of an all-knowing, all-powerful, ever-loving God who came to redeem you and to suck you out of this thinking that all that life is about is this spinning ball of clay and mortar. It's just more than that. Go back to that. Remember that. Remember the VBS. Remember the, the youth camp where you sat around and at the time you thought, we're sitting around a candle, we're singing Kumbaya, this is, you know, whatever it is. Go back to that moment. Remember where you tasted that first love of Christ. Go back to that. And when you do that, put off the old self. Actively, if you want to live a life that is honoring to Christ, not only in unity, but in, 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 unity, in unity, but also purity... Go back to that and actively engage in war to put off the old self. Do something about it. Fight. And that will produce, what did he say? A renewal of the spirit of your mind. This happened just this past week. Um, I was hoping he would be in here today so that I can embarrass him, but but he's not. Um, In our systematic theology class on Wednesday nights, there's a, a group of men and women that are up here in that room back there, just kind of diving deep into the nitty-gritty, right? It's, it's not devotional thoughts. It's not anything that you would ever put on your wall. <laughs> I mean, it's the deep rock bed truth of theology, and we're chewing through that. And one of the guys said this, as, as we're studying the, <laughs> the authority and the inerrancy of the Scriptures, all right? Sounds great, right? Like, you all want to leave here and go to that class, don't you? As we're chewing through that, here's what this guy says. He says, man, as I've been studying through this, I've probably spent more time studying and reading my Bible than I have in years. And I find myself, did did y'all catch what he said, Elise and Brandon? Did you hear what Jarrett said? He said, I find myself fuller than I've been in a long time. Because he's actively trying, and in doing so, God's pouring back into him the fullness of joy that is in being in Christ. So he said, Paul says, listen, be united and be pure. Be pure not by walking in the futility of your mind, but walking in illumination. The way that you walk in illumination is remember the things that you were formerly taught. Remember the truths that you were formerly taught. Actively engage in trying to be more like Christ, and in doing so, he will renew your mind. He'll fill you back up. And he goes on to say this, and then put on the new self created in the likeness of God. Put on the new self created in the likeness of God. Check that out. What Paul just said is this. If you're in Christ, remember this, that you may have the same old body that you had before Christ, but he put a cloned heart of God himself in you on the day of salvation. You were created in the likeness of God. So he says, live that out. Live out that new heart, that new... He's taken out the the heart of stone and replaced it with a heart of flesh. Live that out as a new creation, a new birth. And so at this point, maybe you're going, great! How do I do that? Well, Paul gives us the answer, right? And so let's chew through this. So he's going to say, do this by living presently what's already done positionally before the Lord. Positionally, right now, you are holy and righteous before the Lord if you're in Christ. 
So he says, listen, live out what is positionally true presently. Live that out. All right? And so he gives us this list that's going to follow. This list will begin in verse 25. And the list really is a clothing illustration. He says, he says choose to put something on, particularly six things. Now, I want you to look at your clothes right now. Look at your clothes. That was, that was weird, right? You chose those clothes this morning. You woke up, you actively chose your clothes. Some of you walked to a closet where everything was clean and pressed real neatly. Some of you walked to a drawer where it was jammed in there. Uh, and then some of you, maybe like me, was like, well, this is on the floor. And then you give the smell test. It'll work, right? <laughs> so this, this is how we all chose our clothes. You chose to put on what you put on this morning, and that's what he's saying. He's saying, if you want to live a life of purity, purity, you choose it. You actively choose to put something on. Um, it's just like a policeman that goes to work, puts on police clothes. Their belief that they are a policeman matches their behavior that they put on police clothes. Um, a doctor puts on doctor's clothes. A prisoner puts on prisoner's clothes. And he's, saying, he's going to say, match this. On the wedding day, you put on wedding clothes. And he said, put on purity. Choose to, to put it on. And he's going to give us again six things. So let's walk through them real fast. Verse 25. And, and I do want to say this before we get into it. I don't think this is an exhaustive list. He's not saying if you want to be pure, then just check off these six things and you'll be pure at the end of the day. I think he's saying put on these things and it will naturally produce in you a life that continues to put on more things. Does that make sense? It's not just six. It's just six illustrations of probably a million different things. But these things are six enough, uh, six powerful enough things for us to chew through that I, I think we'll walk away going, whew, all right. All I need is six. I don't need seven, eight, nine, ten. Let's, let's just try to get these six things. All right, what does it look like to live this out? Verse 25, therefore, number one, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Number one, if you're going to live a life of purity, we don't lie. We're people who speak the truth. Believers are marked by people who are not just not telling lies, but they're telling the truth. In other words, believers are marked by people who are dependable. You should be able to depend on us if we're believers. If I tell you yes, I'm going to do something, then my yes is my yes, and my no is my no. I'm dependable. I'm, I'm marked by this. And the contrast is, you shouldn't expect that of the world. If somebody's an unbeliever and they tell you they're going to do something and they don't do it, that's just the nature, right? And he says believers are not that. If Cody tells you he's going to do something, by gosh, Cody better do it. And, and Paul says something opposite than Paul Paul, doesn't he, Cody? He's, he's not saying Paul Paul says that, uh, that you're a big, strong man. He says we do it because it shows that we're pure. And our purity is, is tied to this. So we don't lie, and truth builds trust, and trust builds opportunity to, to express the great news of the gospel. So number one, we're, we're marked by this. Verse 26, also, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Can I get an amen? Or a, boy, I really struggle with that one. 
Right? This is me. This, like, when I read this, I'm like, man, if I could just get that accomplished in my life, I would go a long way. And this happened just this Friday night. Gosh almighty. I say gosh almighty because I'm taming my tongue because I know the verse that's coming next. Friday night at a baseball game, Nielsen, the wheels completely came off, didn't they? It, it was the wildest thing. We're, we're at a baseball game. Bone, cold, it was just a cluster, wasn't it? Um, the, from get to go, the, the wheels fell off of this game. And here I am up in the box as, as a good father, as a good Christian father, urging my kids on in support. Uh, <laughs> and, and I'm sitting here going, what on earth has happened? The devil himself has taken over this game. I mean, error after error after umpire after... The, then the fans start screaming. Then people are calling people garbage. Um, I mean, here we are at a baseball game and people are getting called garbage. And, and here I am studying this text going, what do I do in this situation? I, and then I feel angry and I'm getting more and more angry to the point where the game is over. And I go home and I'm going, how do I respond in a way that is possibly righteous? Even the umpires after the game come up to the press box and they're arguing and they're calling our fans garbage. And I'm sitting, I'm like, okay, everybody's garbage. The train wheel has completely come off the track. This is just a mess. And I'm ticked off. I'm frustrated. So I go home and I go, what do I do? So I just go to bed. I just go to bed. I don't know what to do. Don't, we all feel that, don't we, sometimes? Now notice what he says. Christians are marked by people who can get angry, but not in an unrighteous way. And it becomes unrighteous when we get angry and we get spiteful and angry at somebody. When we become vengeful and I'm going to get revenge. When we become prideful, I'm right, they're wrong, there's no way they're right, I, I have to be right. That's when it starts getting evil. And he says Christians aren't marked by that. Christians are marked by when anger rises up, we harness it, and then we fight for righteousness. Right? So, if you can counsel me this week, that would be fantastic. Because I think a game is coming up maybe soon, right? (laughs) But you have your own story. Y'all know what it's like, don't you? Right? So he says, listen, let's be these people. No pride, no revenge, no vanity. And then number three, if we're going to be pure... Number three, we don't steal. Where do you say that? Verse 28. Verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So Christians are marked by people who work hard. And we work hard not because mom and dad said that if you don't work hard, you won't get the boat. That's not why we work hard. We don't work hard... Because the neighbor says, if you don't work hard, you can't live in the neighborhood. That's not why we work hard. An intrinsic part of being pure to Paul is that we are hard workers. We work hard because that expresses the image of God somehow. And so we're hard workers. And and what are we hard workers for? Well, we're hard workers not just so that we can hoard. We're hard workers so that we can do what? We can give. So we're not leeches off the society. We're not just sponging up and sucking up. We work hard so that we can be of benefit to our community. So that we can serve others. So that we can be the one who goes, I know they're in need. 
I can help meet that need. Christians should be marked by that. The church should be marked by that, man. When need arises and a tornado sweeps through Tuscaloosa as done in the past, by gosh, we ought to be the first responders. That's who we're called to be. We're known as this, Paul says. And then he goes on to say this, verse uh, 29. And let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for the building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. This word literally, this corrupting talk, is rotten words. Let no rotten words come out of your mouth. I'm just going to leave it there. What is rotten word for you? It doesn't always have to begin with S and four letters or F and four letters or G and D. Or it, that's not, it could be those things. Sometimes it's the word stupid. Sometimes it's the word dummy. Sometimes it's not even a word, it's a phrase of you'll never measure up. What is it? We're not marked by this. He says, if we're going to be pure, we're marked as people who who build up, who are speaking words of life. Man, I need that truth. And I wonder if you do too. This is what he calls us to. We, We realize that we're not to be destructive, but God's given us a voice for a reason. This is what... Have you ever wondered why speech is so important to God? Well, I don't really have a lot of time for this, but it is a thought that I chased, just trying to chase in my brain. Humans are the only people that speak to one another. I understand that whales can communicate and all that. Can, I get it, whatever. But when is the last time you've seen some whales pop up on the beach and have a conversation about Jesus? Anybody. And then there's somebody in the room was like, well, I was on a trip spring break one time, and I saw some crazy things. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about your spring break trip. Um... Squirrels don't gather around the table discussing how the nuts that they just gathered are provided from the Lord above, right? They don't do that. Humans specifically are given the ability to communicate in such a way that brings honor and glory to Jesus. So our speech should imitate that. It should be used for that, Paul says. It should be about that. It's the means by which we spread the gospel. Let's keep going, okay, because I'll get sidetracked on speaking spells and that'll be no good. Verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now that seems odd. It seems odd that he's giving a list of practically how to live out a pure life, and he's just said, don't lie, don't lose your temper, don't steal, use your mouth for good, and oh yeah, by the way, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. That's just a whole nother level, right? And I I think it makes sense when you think about it. What does grieve the Holy Spirit mean? It just simply means this. If the Spirit tells you to do something, you do it. And if He tells you don't do something, you don't do it. And the way that we grieve the Spirit is when He tells us don't do something and we do it, or He tells us to do something and we don't do it. That's when we grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, how does that fit with purity? Let me just simply illustrate it. And I think at the end of this you'll go, yeah, that makes perfect sense. If we're going to live a life of purity, bottom line is He's saying is this. Live with the reality that the Holy Spirit of the living God is sitting right next to you every single moment of the day with every single decision. Do you think that if you were walking through the grocery store thinking the Holy Spirit of the living God is riding in the buggy with me, 
that's a whole weird imagery. But now, he's, now i got the Holy Spirit kicking his legs like a kid. Um, the Holy Spirit of the living God is walking next to me. We're walking down the grocery store aisle. And you're buying your Cinnamon Toast Crunch, which is obviously the cereal you will buy, because why else would you buy anything else? And, and you're going there, and you're making decisions. Do you think that you would make decisions differently if you had the reality of the Holy Spirit walking right next to you? Would you, would you maybe talk different? Walk different? Joke different? Think, would you think different if the Holy Spirit of the living God was manifest right next to you? Would you act different at your work? Would you act different when you turn the computer on? Would you act different when you do your taxes? Troy, don't talk about taxes. Would you act different when you engage in a conversation? Would you act different when you have the option to pick up this meal or that meal? Would you act different if the Spirit of the living God was right next to you? Don't you think that would change your level of purity? Anyone? Heck yeah, man. (laughs) It would change mine. I probably would have left the press box about the first inning, Nielsen. Uh, right? So that's, the th- that's what he's saying. If we want to live this life of purity, be reminded of that. That the spirit of the living God not only dwells in us, but is with us every single day. And don't grieve him. And I promise you, if you don't grieve him, you'll be growing towards purity. And then let's wrap it up. Not only that, and I love the way that he ends this. The way that he ends it is verse 31, 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Don't you think that verse encompasses pretty much everything he's just said? And then this final phrase, verse 32. And be kind to one another. Tenderhearted. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. In other words, if we're going to live a life of purity... Just live out grace, the same grace that Christ has given us. Live it out, is his picture here. The whole unkind thing, I feel like a perpetually unkind person. So this really hits me. Okay. And I, it's funny that he says, be kind to one another. He boils it down to this tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Because isn't that what we tell our kids from the moment they begin to toddle around on the earth? It's probably what you heard. You became two all of a sudden, and you were terrible. You know why you were terrible? Because I was terrible. You know why I was terrible? Because every human being on the face of the planet at two is terrible. And I know right now you're going, not my two-year-old. It's the greatest. He's the, he or she's the greatest angel in the world. Somebody needs to look at you and tell you that your child's terrible. You know why? Because they are. Your child is horrible. <laughs> Here's the thing. We, we teach our kids from a young age. Be kind. If you just be kind with one another and don't steal the toy and don't lie. Mommy, I didn't eat the cake. Well, then why is the cake on your face? Don't be a little liar, you little unkind little lying sucker. Right? We, we teach them from a get-go, just be kind. And that's what Paul's saying. If you want to be pure, start out by just being kind. Tender-hearted. Caring for those around you. And that'll go a heck of a long way. I love how he ends this. In other words, he says, don't be kambuka juice. <laughs> 
This week was the first time I have ever tried kombucha, kombucha juice. Kombucha juice. Y'all are laughing because I'm saying it wrong. Somebody for the love. Allie, what is it called? Kombucha? Kombucha? Kombucha. It's the first time I've tried this juice. And, man, it was an experience. Um, so, so I was in Winn-Dixie where all good people find their, their juice like that. Um, I know you could, maybe you should probably, right now you're like, Troy, you should have gone to Fresh Market or somewhere. I was in Winn-Dixie. It's what it was. I saw it and I thought, they say this is good for you, so I'm going to try it. And uh, so I grabbed some of it. (laughs) I swear to you, this is the truth. I crack it open. And my first thought was, Cole has left a dead animal in the back of my car. I, I was like, his cleats are in there. Something is stinking my car up. And then I was like, oh, boy, this is the juice. And then I took a sip of it. And, buddy, the taste matched the smell. <laughs> it is bitter. It is sour. It is all the taste of, of hot beer without the refreshment. I mean, it's, it's just na- it's disgusting, just foul. It, it, was, it was like... Liquid had been in the bottom of a garbage can for about a month. <laughs> and somebody had just poured it in there. And then people are like, this is good for you. And I'm like, yeah, it's good for you because if you don't die from it, it's got to do something good for you, right? <laughs> what don't kill you makes you stronger. So anyway, so I drink it, and I'm like, this is just... And the bitter, this, the, the sour face and the whole... And I think that's what Paul's saying. If we want to fight for purity, just don't be bitter. Don't be sour people. War for God's holiness and do it this way. Don't steal. Don't lie. And he's just rattling off things. Fight for unity. Fight for purity. Remember the things that you formerly learned. Fight for truth. All these things. And if you'll just do that, God will do more through you than you could have ever dreamed or imagined. I think you can be boiled down to one word. I think all of this can be boiled down to one simple word. And that's this word here. Paul's saying just cultivate it. If you want to be pure and live out Christ-likeness, cultivate it. You notice that I haven't given you one practical illustration of do this or do that or don't say this. I mean, I've I've given you my failures. But the Holy Spirit right now has done his work, and every single one of you interpreted that in different ways, didn't you? And you're thinking about your marriage and your relationships and your co-workers and your, you're thinking about all kind of things right now. Praise the Lord. And he's saying cultivate it. Cultivate holiness. Very sad but true story as we end. Very sad. Last year, we attempted to grow a garden. And this is what the garden looked like when we began, maybe. We have no power. Dan, where's the garden at? There we go. The garden is rough. This is, this is where we started out. Um, you can see the families out there. And it, it was a beautiful thing, man. It was a beautiful thing. We, we tilled it. We got the weeds out of it. Um, definitely the most OCD garden in Northport. 
I mean, I put strings out. We got the tape measure. We're putting it in the right depth. We, I mean, we, and we go through the whole garden. It was a thing of beauty. It was beautiful. And that day, that day we watered the garden. It's also the last time we watered <laughs> the garden. We did that. And by the end of the... And I'm telling you, I was thinking at this point in my life, I was thinking, I'm going to be the guy at the farmer's co-op that they're like, you've got to taste his corn. I mean, we only planted five corn stalks. (laughs) But in my brain, I was thinking, we're going to have so many peas that the whole community of Northport can come eat our peas. Like, this is my... I'm thinking all these thoughts. You know what we didn't grow in the garden? Beets. (laughs) No beets in the garden. But we had, all, I was thinking this, and then this had ended. It is, that's, this is, that's, that's how the thing sucker ended. That's the end of the summer. And weeds, <laughs> weeds had taken over. My corn had fallen down. It never produced anything. We never got a single pea out of this thing. <laughs> Not one pea. Not one single pea for the love of all that is holy. And the reason was, we just didn't cultivate it. And I think a lot of times we can do the exact same thing in our Christian life. We go, I wonder why I'm not growing in the way that I think I should be growing. And Paul's going, God planted it in your heart. Why aren't you cultivating it? Cultivate your own growth. Does Christ be the one who is the impetus behind our growth? Absolutely. But that don't mean we sit back fat and happy with the remote going, well, grow it in me then, Lord. He says, you cultivate it. Do it in this way. Don't lie. Don't steal. Fight for holiness. War. You get the point. Let's pray together. Well, God, what a great passage. A passage that hits us all in distinct ways. And I pray now, as we worship, and as we reflect that you continue to do the cultivating work. And so God, don't let this moment pass by where we enter into worship through reflection. Would you stand together?